Welcome to Digication Scholars Conversations. I'm your host, Kelly Driscoll. In this episode, you'll hear part two of my conversation with Elise Hellum, Experiential Learning Program Manager for Research and Technology at the University of Puget Sound. More links and information about today's conversation can be found on Digication's Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Full episodes of Digication Scholars Conversations can be found on YouTube or your favorite podcast app. As you were speaking, I was thinking a little bit about um, some of the things that you mentioned, one of which was this kind of um, learning or, or process portfolio that some of the students are creating maybe in earlier stages during their time there. Um, and also the more showcase-oriented approaches for students that are already kind of thinking ahead for how they may want to introduce themselves to audiences outside of the school or thinking about their kind of career trajectories. Um, and it's a conversation that comes up a lot in our our work with schools and you know how what their needs are are they going to be approaching it as more of this kind of learning portfolio or showcase portfolio but as someone that's kind of been in education for a while um i was curious with this kind of curation that you were speaking about if students are sometimes beginning with this kind of process portfolio and maybe creating additional portfolios down the road that they're using to do more of that showcase. So it's not an either or, but are students creating multiple at times and maybe how they're, if if they're given any coaching for the curation process, what, what that might look like. Yeah, absolutely. So let me, I know you asked earlier about how we approach ePortfolios at Puget Sound. So this kind of brings me back to that question that I never answered earlier. So um, we do take this approach with ePortfolios of, you know, identifying what's the purpose, who's the audience, right? So is the audience external or something that you're trying to sort of share a story more broadly, like outside of the class, right? So then that might lend itself to a showcase portfolio. Or is the audience really the student and the professor, right? Like they're having a dialogue between the two of them. It's maybe more process oriented, maybe more personal um, and intimate, right? Um, About their learning, about their growth through a course, right? Um, And so when I have those initial conversations with faculty, when they're going to integrate e-portfolios into their course or into their program, then we, we typically talk about who's the audience, right? And what is the, the um, objective of developing this e-portfolio? So, and something we talk about with students too about, and then something I love about education is that there's levels of privacy, right? That the default is actually private to only the person who made it, right? That's actually great, right? So that they could have their own personal portfolio. And actually, I, I have my own personal private portfolio. You've seen my actually my more showcase portfolio but I have another one that I I visit you know actually um, at least annually where I pick three achievements from the year and I process you know what did I learn and what was hard and what was really good and how do I want to grow on that so I make sure that for myself I have a process portfolio that I'm Mm -hmm. visiting that I'm curating um, and or actually not really curating the process one, but that I'm populating um, with evidence, with artifacts, with narratives, with lessons, with the things that were hard. Um, and and so that 
when I'm ready, I can take elements from that process portfolio and integrate it into my showcase portfolio. And that's the same process I want students to be able to do. So um, at Puget Sound, we don't have an e-portfolio requirement, right? So we have an experiential learning requirement. We do not have an e-portfolio requirement, which actually I think is preferable uh, because sometimes when you require things, um, you kind of get that forced Okay, I guess we'll do it. Um, uh, you know, not everyone's necessarily on board. So instead of requiring e-portfolios, our, our approach has been to make e-portfolios unavoidable, right? So that um, we've done outreach with lots of faculty. Again, we did, we did, we've had faculty who have been our champions and shared about all the great things that they've learned. Um, we've had workshops to invite new people in to try and, and I meet with them and give a lot of support myself and also my, my student staff team. Um, we come along and we lead the trainings. We do the technical stuff. We build the templates. Like we do the heavy technology lift to make it easy for the faculty to integrate into their courses and also for the students to get started, right? So um, at Puget Sound, one of our sort of ground level pieces to sort of help with the technology with our students is we build a lot of templates, right? So we build a lot of spaces where students can get started easy, um, start right into the content um, and learn the technology over time, right? We want to make it easy to build the, the the essence of the page and not necessarily get him, you know, tripped up by, but how do I add a picture? How do I add a text box, right? So we, we populate it with some like suggestions and then say go. Uh-huh. And so some students really go and they, and they make beautiful uh, portfolios and they customize it and others kind of use it more like a worksheet, right? But the point is they're still doing the reflection. They're still doing that process, right? And um, they're still collecting artifacts, even if it's not the most gorgeous thing. Um, they're, they're doing, they're kind of gaining, getting those base lo- level skills. So my yeah, hope honey. as they're, as they're doing e-portfolios in classes, which is one of the ways that we, we have it, they might run into an e-portfolio in their first year seminar class, right? Where they're writing and they're actually collecting their writing over time. And then my hope is that they'll also run it into their economics class, their econ 101 class that asks them to look at um, how are they seeing economic principles showing up in their daily life. So literally they do a journal that's about, you know, cost um, principles, right? And they're like uh, cost and effect and supply and demand and thinking about, you know, when I decided to make this economic choice and I bought that burrito at that place, what were the impacts of it over here? Um, How did they spend their time, right? And thinking about all those economic principles like around them. So they're doing it in classes over time. Um, Different students will grab it at different places depending on the courses they take because again, we don't require it. So um, they, they might get it in certain classes and not in others. So whenever we do a training, um, and especially those course portfolios, a lot of them are process oriented, right? Like built to go over time, collect pieces of work, collect artifacts. Um, We make sure that we always build um, the why into the beginning of the training. Like, why is this important? Why is your faculty member decided for you to do this work? Right. So again, we want to avoid busy work. We want to have purposeful work, um, meaningful work. And we want to make sure that that objective is really apparent when we start. And so um, because education allows students to have multiple portfolios, um, they can have portfolios from lots of different courses. And then as we run into students who are more um, dealing with artifacts or experiences that they might want to share more publicly, or they're nearing the end of their academic experiences, like in our French department, like um, in occupational therapy, um, or like our counseling graduate students, um, when they're kind of nearing the end of their experiences, we'll say, hey, we've, we've built um, portfolios that are a little bit more showcase, but we say, look back at what you've done before. Do you have other portfolios? 
which again, some may or some may not. Um, And we talk about pulling pieces from that. And I will say that the students who have done it before and they've collected evidence before say, oh, yeah, I have that. I have that paper. I have that um, reflection that I, I mean, literally, we were trying to have students in their first year during that orientation workshop put their very first paper they wrote for college ever in their portfolio. We're like, put it in there, like, write about it for a second and then like leave it and let it sit there and incubate right and then when you come back as a senior and you're writing your capstone and you're writing your thesis and you say oh oh my goodness look at my writing (laughs) like but absent of that early piece of evidence it's so hard to see the growth right so you it's so incremental you just like oh i'm doing so good i'm doing so good and you are doing so good in that moment but amazingly your good now is leaps and bounds better than your good before Right. So it's really cool for the for the folks who have had instances of ePortfolio over time for them to then pull and select and then curate. So you're not going to pull all of those artifacts. Right. You're not going to pull every paper you wrote for your first year seminar class. Um, but you'll pull like maybe one and say this was my you know, my my favorite piece. And this is what I learned and put it with your um your thesis and you say but this is where I landed and the other thing that's really cool is sometimes when they've got it from multiple places students will say oh I wrote about this topic in my seminar this is my seminar I I did it on because they get to pick the topics that they're sort of interested in and it's interesting to see how those topics morph and change but connect to where they land as a senior not always right sometimes they they took a turn which is great but sometimes they see you know what Social justice has been on my mind, on my heart since the beginning, right? And they say, oh, well, clearly this is a value for me. This is something I deeply care about. How can I? And now they have evidence to show that over time they've cared about this and they've done research about it. And then when they go and tell that story to an employer, they're like, actually, I've done work in this. I've been thinking about these topics for forever, Right. And maybe their maybe their experience is limited. Right. Maybe they've done some volunteering, but they don't have a ton of experience. But it's been on their heart and on their mind for a long time. And I think those are sort of my favorite stories is when they've done that piece of it. Um, But I do think I do think at some point having that audience, even in a process portfolio, but especially in a showcase portfolio is really important. Um, I think about Kuhn O'Donnell, who talk about high impact practices and the quality um, the elements of high quality, high impact practices, right? So not just go and do the internship, which is a high impact practice, but how is it going to be a quality internship? Um, one of those pieces has to do with having, you know, an audience and having sort of like stakeholders and people that you're accountable to, right? That really kind of deepens that learning. And I think having a showcase portfolio, whether it be a single page or a single section or a, or a whole multiple page portfolio that showcases the whole journey. I think having something that other people see um, both imports the importance on students, but also allows them to feel celebrated for their work because someone else sees it. Someone other than just their professor who's honestly in their corner and rooting for them, right? And maybe someone even beyond the class who hopefully is also in their corner and rooting for them, but, you know, sharing it with the campus or sharing it at a symposium. Um, so all of our, our internship students who make their beautiful portfolios, they share those at a symposium that we have in the fall which celebrates all of their work, allows them to practice telling their stories verbally, not just in writing in their portfolios. Um, And I think that showcase piece, the fact that someone else could see it, um, allows them to really do their best work. So um, it's a a reasonable level of risk, right? So they're they're on campus with people who are rooting for them, um, but still preparing things that um, are meant to potentially go beyond the campus. Um, 
I did hear from, uh, I work with the counseling department and they do a showcase portfolio. Um, and I heard from the professor that um, one of their former students had actually taken their portfolio that they created and uh, included it in their resume because they had to pull like artifacts from their program and showcase all of their proficiencies, right? And it helped them get their next job, right? So not always, but sometimes like that is the deciding factor. I have another student who I know who developed a showcase portfolio, didn't actually share it with anyone, but went to their interview and then came back and said, you know what? They didn't ask a single question in my interview that I hadn't already thought about in my portfolio. So even though no one saw it, that showcase, that process, that curation supported them in taking their next step, which was so cool. They were ready. Yeah. Yeah. And you mentioned, I don't know if it's uh, built into the symposium, maybe that only involve people on campus. But I know at some point during our conversation, you mentioned that sometimes people are invited from the outside. Maybe it's um, because of this connection with the internships and things where they may be sharing with outside audiences before they're even going out and looking for jobs. Would you mind describing that a little bit too? You want me to talk about the symposium and the way that's set up? Or, or if there's opportunities where students might be sharing some of their reflections or, or work that they've done with audiences outside of the school, too, as they're creating these portfolios, whether they're learning portfolios or more of the showcase-oriented portfolios. Yeah, absolutely. Well, so one of the things that we do is we love beautiful examples. Um, and so we have actually awards that we give out at the end of every semester based on faculty nomination. And we say, hey, students, um, your faculty member nominated you. They thought your work in your e-portfolio was remarkable. Um, here's a certificate that like honors your work. And if you'd be interested, um, would you be willing for us to share your portfolio? And they do not have to. Like it's something they get to opt into. But uh-huh. all of the examples that are on um, the collections that I put together, including the one you mentioned earlier, are always from students who have given me permission and often are ones that, um, you know, were out of a nomination from a faculty member who said, you did really cool work. And that's even their um, their process portfolio. So I have another collection that's that showcases e-portfolios that are being used in courses on our campus. And all of those portfolios are coming from nominations. So, and that is a public portfolio. I can share that collection with you. Oh, um, well, we would love that. to share that too. <laughs> um, so yes. that's a really cool one because it shows how it's being used in classes. So the one yeah, that you mentioned specifically is about, for course-oriented right. kinds of portfolios, yes. Right, oh, which sometimes are structured differently, right? So when you're doing yeah. something for a class, it might be a little bit different, right? So when I, I mean, we have our music, a music class that was students were building digital concerts and they were curating, like, how would you run a concert? And they were doing their, um, you know, orchestra notes and their program notes in the portfolio. And they had like video clips to like YouTube uh-huh. um, links, videos of the the pieces that they, if they were building a concert that they would want to include. So that was kind of a cool thing. And so that those kinds of course-based portfolios live in that collection. Um, so we try to make sure that students um, can have the opportunity to share. But we do have symposia and events where um, we ask students to come and show their their portfolio. So the internship ones, I think, I mentioned that summer fellowship internship program, the SFI program, was our like flagship um, experiential learning program that came out of our office, right? And from the get-go, the way that the students were being asked to sort of document their experiences and their reflections was through an e-portfolio. And so um, students would actually 
um, from from year one have been like presenting their portfolios and presenting their work at a symposium at the end of the summer. So we do several symposia for different experiences in the fall semester. So it's like um, bookending the summer, right? So they go in, in the summer and they do their experience and they come in the fall and they're expected to go in and share their portfolio and share their stories. And it's actually open to campus, but open to anyone who wants to come. So we invite all of the community partners. We say, come and and see what you're going to do. Um, we work really close with career and employment services. And so they'll also send invitations to their employers that they are partnered with and say, hey, if you want to come see some really cool students and hear their stories, like CES, our career and employment services, they invite folks to the campus to oh, come and be part of that. Um, and we do the same thing or similar things with our research symposia. We invite folks to come and see, right? So that's sort of a public showcase it's on campus, but it's open to the public. Um, and it, it's really cool because it takes both the experiences, the internships, the programs, the research, all of that, um, and it makes it more uh, more visible on campus to yeah. our current students. And they go, oh, you worked at Mother Earth Farms and you did this really cool work about food insecurity? Like, me too. That's something I want to do. And then it yeah. connects them with... Um, our programs, but it also allows the students to really celebrate what they've accomplished. I had I had students in research this year who said, you know, that that symposia, that celebration, because we had almost a hundred summer researchers this past summer. So we had this huge event with all of our students from a variety of different disciplines, not just science, right, which is kind of the standard, but also in arts and also in history and also in, um, you know, psychology. So we had all sorts of different research projects showcased. And I had some students say, you know, that was my favorite part was being able to share what I did and to share all the cool work because they're like, I've been so passionate about this. I've been diving deep. And now I get to turn that around and talk to someone else about what I did and what I learned. And that experience that they had there was scaffolded by you know, workshops and things that we held along the way so that hopefully they were ready to like tell their story in a really articulate and engaging way. And and that was what I saw when I when we were at the event. So um, I think symposia, something that showcases and shares is really, really helpful for the students, um, but also for the work that they're doing and for the work that our, our offices are doing, um, you know, to make sure that it's really visible to to students and faculty and to the public. So yeah, and I would think for faculty that haven't kind of jumped in and and started doing this kind of work yet it's also serving as an opportunity for them to say oh okay you know either connecting with the kinds of work that they're doing and knowing that they're doing that now but maybe not sharing it or documenting in that way um to get ideas and and seeing what other students are doing too yeah absolutely you were mentioning something um about how sometimes the kind of structural needs around portfolios and reflective practice might be different um, for courses versus maybe some of the more project-oriented um, portfolios that students are creating. And it, I actually had pulled up something that you had said, I, I think again, in your um, <laughs> kind of public personal facing uh, portfolio that uh, project-based learning is a balance between structure and choice <laughs> and it immediately got me thinking about the kind of process for folks that maybe in your role or faculty members that are embarking on this and thinking about you know how much structure do i want to give the students to start creating these e-portfolios or um you know reflecting on some of the experiences that they have had in this course or as part of this project, you know, how much structure is too much? How much do I want it to be self-directed? And 
I'm yeah. imagining through your time and working with all of these different disciplines and approaches, you probably have some some thoughts to share on that. <laughs> oh my goodness. Yes. I mean, so it's so important to provide clear guidance and structure to students. Um, like that's, it's essential, it's critical. Um, and yet we want to leave a lot of room for them to be creative. Um, and so there's this weird, there's this weird tension, right? Because so often we're like, oh, I'm going to give them very little guidance because I want them to be creative. And what I have found is that when there's no guidance or very loose guidance, it actually instigates like a panic response in students. Like they say, but what do you want me to do? Um, and I think students especially, and, and I mean, this is me too, me as an employee. Like if I have no guidance, I, I it creates sort of like panic in that moment. And so we're not quite sure where to start. So what I will say is that some structure is really helpful for the getting started. Um, I love holding things loosely so that you can allow it to sort of ebb and flow and be flexible, but you have to start somewhere. Um, and so when, see, like, how do I, how do I think about this too? Because um, I've talked about it in a lot of different places. I imagine that. so. <laughs> um, and, and I love this question. It's something that comes up so much. Um, yep. It's a really important, and I know in your role, especially because you've been working alongside so many yeah. faculty members and um, it sounds like doing some of the template building on their behalf i think uh -huh, also to kind helps. of scaffold the process for them too yeah um oh yeah you've got a you've got some good insights for and up and when i'm working with people at that level too i so, always let them know you know this is something that you're gonna try this yeah. semester mm. and it's you no know, it's an iterative thing you know you're gonna see what areas were the most successful and if there's something that you know you want to keep tweak none of this is set in stone so yeah. you know yeah, that's you interesting I, I should mention that because yeah when i think about trying something I, i'm always very careful about how we talk about that with students mm -hmm. uh, because faculty often say we're going to give this a try but then um the students feel like guinea pigs they're like, do you, know, do you know what you're doing? So I love that question about structure and flexibility and how do I support my students in that process, right? Because it is really this, this tension between I want to make sure that I have them do what I'm expecting, right? I want to make sure that I get the outcome that I want from my students. But also, I would we're so thrilled when they're creative, right? We want to like support that creativity, but often like having a total wide open field, a blank slate, like I want you to go make something, go, causes panic in our students, right? They're like, but but no, 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 you're the teacher. You're supposed to guide me. I, I don't know where to start even. Um, and so it, I will say that as, um, you know, when they head into the workforce, they're every now and then going to get that project that says, go right so we do want to give them the skills so that they can take a first step and a next step and break it down and then be successful in in that go commission um but within the framework of our classes we want to make sure that all students at every single learning level at every single level of experience is ready and able to be successful right so that's really important so there that's where like that structure is critical 
Um, and so uh, what your question makes me think about a, a presentation, a workshop that I did for our faculty a few years ago. Um, and I unpacked some of the myths that I had experienced around ePortfolios. And so um, the myth that that is kind of coming to mind for me is uh, myth that all my students will be able to make beautiful portfolios, right? So you mentioned, you know, having faculty come and see the examples or you you pointed to some of the examples that we've shared. You're like, oh, all students are going to make these. Like, this is going to be amazing. <laughs> like, they're just going to love it. It's going to be so good, right? Um, and my reality is that some students are going to make beautiful portfolios. But really, the, the es essential component is that clear expectations and regular feedback set our students right. up to be successful, right? Like, right. those two pieces are really important, both um, expectations and outlines that around the big picture um, and what you as a faculty consider essential, right? Those things need to be shared up front. Um, now, that might be just in a document, right, that you've written out for faculty, for your students, right? So where you say, this is the goal, these are the essential components. And then you say, beyond this, how you presented, that's that's where you have the flexibility. That's great. But you have to have those essential pieces, those expectations that if you, if you give them free reign, they make something that they think is amazing. And you say, oh, but you didn't include this. If, right. if, if there's something that you secretly maybe don't even realize that you need students to include, you need to say that up front. Right. So ultimate flexibility means that you need to be okay and super excited about all of the options that you get in return, right? So anything that's essential needs to be shared up front. And those clear expectations really set students up best for making the flexible choices that they might want. Um, and so I actually created like a little diagram where I said, you know, there's sort of a balance, right? So there's super rigid structure where there's no flexibility, right? And then there's <laughs> something, a scenario where you have supreme flexibility, absolutely zero structure. And I'll say that neither of those extremes is is going to be set up for success, right? Um, so zero room for any flexibility and, and creativity and customization um, is going to be deflating for our students. Um, and absolute freedom with no structure, like, yeah, I don't care, just do it, um, is going to cause panic. And it is really going to hinder, um, I would say that the Supreme flexibility is going to really hinder our students who haven't already developed the skill set of, yes, I can say, you say go and I can figure out yes, the process yes. along the way. Like some of your students can do that, right? But not everyone can. Um, and so it's going to really hamper a, a selection of your students. And no flexibility is going to really hinder all of your students who think a little bit differently that really thrive with creativity. So you're going to sort of hurt students at either end. Um, yes, so I would, I would nudge yourself in just a little bit, right? Um, so if you have real expectations, a real structure that you need to follow. Give elements of creativity, right? Um, and do know um, that that is probably going to be one of the faster sorts of assignments to complete. So I often say, if you are on a short time frame, if you've got a packed class and you do not have room for um, a lot of time for students to figure it out and toy with it and, and tinker and try and fail and improve, if you don't have time for that, then realize that um, Highly structured and a little bit of flexibility is gonna what you're gonna get, and probably your your um, assignments that will get returned to you won't have a ton of creativity involved because you, in the way that you structured your class, haven't created the space needed and the time needed to do that kind of creative work. Like that work takes time, um, and that's okay. Like that's really okay. But I think sometimes we think we want to give them this much time and have the most beautiful creative outputs, and I'm like. 
we need to balance priorities just a little bit. Um, so if you're limited on time, lots of structure and maybe saying if you want to be creative, great. Um, but there's no expectation for creativity. That's kind of my recommendation. Reverb. Uh, I will say the more flexible you want to nudge your students to be, like when you want them to be creative, when you want them really to customize and you want them to own the process, realize that that takes more time um, and it takes more scaffolding, right? Um, so you still need to have sort of your basic level of structure of what your expectations are, um, but you need to um, give the students space and time to do the tinkering and playing around and getting familiar with and thinking about those big ideas and thinking about what they want to have. And also, I will say, be okay if a student says, you know what, thank you for for giving me these options. I want to go a totally different way with it. Right. Uh -huh. So I had students who are like, I really don't want to do a portfolio. I really would rather do a video. And I'm like, uh -huh. yeah, why not? Yes. I really want to do a podcast. <laughs> and so what I often say is um, I build in a lot of room for that choice. But I will say that if you choose to go your own route, um, you're also choosing to do the heavy lift of figuring out the technology or figuring out the structure of that other route, right? So I create create like sort of an easy route. So we build like ePortfolio templates with structure um, and we tell them they can customize them and curate them. But we say, this is where you can start. It's really like, easy well, to get started. It's easy for them to jump in. There's prompts built in there. There's like little image placeholders that say, go add an image here. So it's like really easy for your student who's like, creativity is not my thing. <laughs> like I just need to know what the structure is like those students should be successful with the structure we provided um, and for students who want to be more creative we say hey well you could actually start with a different template or you can do a totally different platform or a totally different output um, right pick a different technology you want to use um, just know that there's going to be a little bit more lifting on your end because you're choosing the thing that's not pre-prepped for you. Um, right. And so then they have to decide how much do they care? Like, do they, would they, would it be easier to tinker with something that's already created? Um, or are they really excited about undergoing that really creative process and making the thing that's exactly the way that they want it? Uh, but knowing that they might need to learn some more pieces. Um, and I've had students do both. I've had a lot of students that kind of tend to say, well, let's just start with this, what's given. And a lot of them do customize um, and others who kind of do that heavy lifting. I will say my, my faculty who seem to be the most successful, especially in, in having their students build beautiful portfolios, um, often give a lot of time upfront for the tinkering and getting started. So I have a business class that I work with and she wants them to, um, it's about fashion law. It's really cool. And so they, she says, okay, I want you all to pick five topics um, connected to our course and you're going to build a collection, right? And you're going to tell a story, you're going to pull in resources and you're going to talk to me about why these different elements of fashion law are really important. Um, she doesn't really care which topics they pick or if they pick a big theme topic and then they do lots of subtopics. She doesn't really care about that, right? Um, choosing the topics are up to the students, but I built the structure um, so that they can go and then populate it. But we also in that class say, hey, if none of, like, especially for my real design oriented folks, if none of these, if this structure feels limiting, we've got other portfolios that you can sort of pull and customize and piece together um, in your own way. Or you can build one from scratch, right? So um, they have the easy option. They can build other from other temp templates or they can build totally from scratch. They've got sort of choice. But that initial workshop that we do is that whole first period. So I can do an e-portfolio training, give everyone the basics in, I mean, as little as 15, 20 minutes. Um, mm -hmm. You know, I can, I can do it. I'm like, I've got it down. But I will say for when there's customizing involved and when you want them to be flexible and creative, 
taking that time to do the workshop and have a little bit more time to customize and curate and play with it um, is really valuable. And I think that those faculty who want that creative piece uh, product do see dividends paying out at the end because the students feel comfortable getting started. Um, so I will say um, structure, flexibility, it, it's really tricky. Um, one of the critical things to go from beginning to end, which whichever way you're doing, whichever way you're doing is feedback. Right. Beautiful. So like that's one of the things. So um, if you want your students to have really great end products, you got to show that you, you care about the work that they're doing. Um, so faculty who launch them and then look at it post finals in order to grade them. The the results are mixed My faculty who launch them and then check in at regular intervals, leave comments. I have a faculty member um, in econ who even pulls up examples with the students permissions and look at this really cool thing that the student did. They found oh, this nice. great application and like celebrates them along the way or yeah. you know they even have peer review opportunities in class like that feedback that connection that like showing that you care about the work that they're doing in that space i think really has a an end result of having much higher quality products so um yeah and you would think that that might be obvious but i think because of this maybe because of some of the history surrounding portfolios is something very tied to assessment or review after the fact that um it's something that is sometimes not considered you know yeah. that we we will definitely rise to the occasion and put time into things mm -hmm. we know that it is you know other people care about it and um so i i love the conversation too that you're having with um faculty members and thinking about you know what what do you want that result sure. to be right and you know if you do want this more creative kind of um storytelling and um um you know kind of richer experience for the the student that that is going to require a lot more time than possibly putting up a file and responding to a reflection prompt so um, it's a it's a great conversation to have, especially for those that might be embarking on this kind of work for the first time. And and as you said, looking at some of the examples that are out there and having good realistic expectations for what they can ask of students and, and what they can expect back. So um, I love these conversations about the, you know, kind of structure and choice. And I do think it's an area where it, it does have the opportunity for some from some play and uh, experimentation and and getting feedback along the way and seeing what works and shifting models and um so thanks thanks for sharing that oh my pleasure well and i i will say that like all of those pieces that you mentioned like i mean they're they're essential to teaching pedagogies like there's some of the basics yeah. you learn like when i went to you know and got my teacher credential like it's some of the basics you learn you talk about feedback you talk about assessment you talk about multiple styles of assessment you talk about scaffolding like so in a way i think you're right that some of these principles feel so obvious and yet our experiences in teach my experience in teaching and my experience in higher education is that more and more demands are getting laid upon us and the and the stakes feel like they're getting higher, right? So we feel like our courses are getting crammed and our experiences and the time we have with students is getting crammed. We're spending so much time doing um, yes, our content and, and and also hopefully these creative projects and and applications, but then also 
you know, there's a lot of other pieces, right? Sometimes it's behavior, sometimes it's cognitive support, sometimes it's mental health. There's a lot of other pieces. And so um, I mentioned that I meet with faculty up front. And one of the, the things that has happened out of some of those consultations is at the end of the day, we say, you know what? I know that this is a great project and a great idea, but it sounds like giving your course and what is important in your course, this isn't a good fit because there's just not space for it. Um, and and that sometimes it's okay to say, maybe not now, like this is not a right now. So I, I had a meeting with a, a faculty in biology and they said, you know, I, I kind of want to build a portfolio in. I want them to document process of their their research over time and and add reflections to it. And so I, I did the whole thing. I built a template for her. I showed her what it could look like. I made like a, a sample, an example um, based on some student work that she'd had in the past. And she looked at it and she said, you know what? I do think that there's not space right now. And so it sat there for a couple of years, actually. And then um, a couple of years ago, she reached out to me and she's like, you know what? I think I want to revisit it. I think I've shuffled things around. I think my focus and my emphasis is different. That particular faculty actually has eliminated um, exams in her biology classes and has students do unit reflections instead. It's fascinating. It's so interesting. And she wrote an article about it. Also fascinating. Um, So... She said, I've restructured things and there's more space for it. And so now she's done it for a couple of years and her students create, um, have like a page where they document their unit reflections over time and also have a page where they pull um, evidence and artifacts and reflections from their research journey um, that they're doing with the zoo um, over the course of the semester when they're doing those research projects. So sometimes it's not now also. like So I think thinking about priorities and what you have time for and what you can support students in that sometimes starting small is really a great option or um, sitting in like mulling it over for a little bit until you have time to do it well. I know you and I were talking about how um, sometimes we just say, oh, you're just going to test it out, right? Like just kind of see where you're going to start because that iteration process is really important. Um, I think that's really important for us to think about as educators that let's test it out. But when we're talking with students, we also want to say, like we also want to commit to what we've asked them to do. Right. So sure. they yeah. never want to feel like a guinea pig. They <laughs> want to feel like you aren't quite sure what you're doing. Um, so when you do ask something of our when we do ask something of our students, we should have a clear plan for that. And if we yeah. don't feel like we can do it well, if we don't think we have time for the feedback um, that really would be necessary for a good product, that maybe this is not the right time for this particular assignment or this particular Reflection, there's always time for. Like I said, you could do it as your attendance check-in, right? But maybe portfolios and reflection in that way is not what you, you have space for right now, but maybe later or maybe in a different instance. So Yeah. Um, or can it fill in where something like the final exam may not be, yeah, a different yeah, approach for looking at what students have learned? Yeah. yeah. I like that. You, know, you don't want to just um, stick on... Um, something else in your courses without really thinking intentionally about how it connects to what you're already doing. And um, yeah, you know, that going back to what you shared about the time in with the the value at the the end. Now it's true for the the faculty members as well as the the students. Absolutely. Well, and there was a model that I I heard about when I was teaching in K-12. It was uh, sort of a a way of looking at technology integration and whether you should do it, really. Um, It was called SAMR. I don't know if you've ever heard this, Um, but it talks about, you know, if you're thinking about a technology like an e-portfolio, right? You're like, oh, I really want to use e-portfolios. I've heard they're really good. They're great for reflection. Let's use them. Um, It thinks about how are you going to use it? Are you going to use it um, for substitution, right? Are you just 
They used to submit their paper on Canvas, right, as a document, and now they're going to put their paper in a portfolio and submit it. And that's it. So are you just substituting one technology for another? And is there any value to that? And now if that's all you're doing, maybe that's not worth your time, right? Um, Or is it going to like augment the experience, right? Are are there a few features that maybe are possible using that particular technology that maybe there wasn't before? So maybe using Google Docs and sharing, right? Now students can do comments and you, the faculty, can see the comments and there's track change. There's all sorts of cool things. So like, okay, so this makes more than just submitting it to Canvas, like having it live in a Google Doc, it's kind of cool because I've got these other features, right? It's essentially the same assignment, but it's augmented, right? So thinking that may, maybe that's worth the time needed to shift technologies, right? But if you get into those higher levels of SAMR, um, the modification and the redefinition, like when you're really taking your assignment, um, so I mentioned the uh, the music faculty, I Ruben. think, who... Um, built a, a collection in an e-portfolio um, where the students had to design their own concert and they like integrated um, uh, YouTube videos along the way uh, yeah. and they had to put in program notes um, and they built a digital concert, right? So which is really, yeah. you know, a full concert as a class of, you know, sophomore level students, that's, you know, 20 concerts. That's, that's quite an undertaking, but they can do a digital concert and it took what used to be a paper and turn it into a kind of a more interactive and dynamic assignment, right? And it really modified what they were doing and also how they were thinking about it. So those modifications really made the learning of the technology and made it more valuable. And then sometimes there's redefinition, right? Like literally the things that I love about the showcase portfolios is that students used to like write about their internships and they would turn it into their professor. Now they can create a portfolio and hyperlink that portfolio to their resume. And then that goes to the potential employer that they're hoping to connect with. Like that's a whole new audience that wasn't available before. It really changes the way that you think about telling your story in that internship. Um, So SAMR, while it's not really rules, but it's a way that I've thought about like what is the value um, versus the the effort needed to kind of get that technology up and running. And it's been helpful for me when I'm having conversations with faculty or when I'm thinking in my own class about, you know, what do I really want to invest my time in? What is going to benefit me, what's going to benefit my students, and what's going to give them a product at the end um, that's really worth the time and effort that was needed to to learn that new technology. So yeah. that's kind of been a helpful tool too. Yeah. Oh, thank you for sharing that. That's excellent. Um, I'll, I'll see if I can find a link to that to share in the, the show notes too, if others would like to explore that. And uh, we are unfortunately near the end of our time, Elise. And yeah. um, I want to thank you again for joining me today and sharing all of your wonderful insights. And um, I look forward to um, sharing some of the the resources that you've created and shared um, with our community of listeners. Also, um, I've had a chance to see some of them through our our work together but i think that they'll be very valuable for others within the community to see as well so thank you so much for joining me today thank you so much for having me and and being willing to hear me share about the cool work that's happening on our campus i'm so proud of our faculty and our staff and our students so it's an honor to be able to share with you and i love working with y'all and and all the support that y'all get so thanks oh, we for love having it us. too it just keeps getting better and better over there <laughs> i love it thank you so much kelly thank you so much this concludes our conversation 
to hear our next episode, be sure to subscribe to Digication Scholars Conversations on YouTube, iTunes, Spotify, or your favorite podcast app. The Digication Scholars Conversation series is brought to you by Digication, a technology platform powering the most innovative ePortfolio programs in K-12 and higher education. Our website can be found at digication.com. If you enjoyed today's conversation, please like, subscribe, and share with a friend. Thanks for tuning in.